You're listening to Beyond the Ordinary, a show about the companies, founders, and ideas that are shaping the future of health, science, and financial technology. Here's your host, Tommy Martin. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond the Ordinary. We're so glad you're here with us today. And I have been wanting to do an episode on artificial intelligence since the very beginning of this show. But I wanted to bring you the best of the best. I wanted to make sure I could bring someone that could actually explain it in a way that we could all understand. And listeners, it was worth the wait. We have a very, very special guest today. My friend Rana El Kalyubi is an Egyptian American scientist. She's an entrepreneur and an investor. She pioneered the field of emotion AI, where she is on a mission to humanize technology before it dehumanizes us. And we're going to talk about her background as we go. So I'm not going to cover all of that. Just know I have absolutely brought you the best of the best in this field. It was worth the wait, and you're going to hear all about the way that she has contributed and actually has grown this entire field of emotion AI. Rana, our listeners love hearing people's stories. So first, thank you so much for being here today. And let's kick off with, you didn't grow up in the US, so let's start there. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Tommy, for having me. Yeah, I was born in Egypt. I'm originally Egyptian. My parents, both in technology, moved to the Middle East in Kuwait very early on. So I grew up partially there until the first Gulf War. And then we kind of had to evacuate our home and move to Abu Dhabi. So, you know, I grew up in a house that was full of technology. One of my earlier memories was my dad plopping me on this blue plastic chair And, you know, with his camcorder recording, me, I always say he was my first audience of one. (laughs) I would just like ramble. So we have these video clips of me just rambling on this blue chair and giving my first ever talks, I guess. (laughs) So we were always surrounded by new technology and it kind of fascinated me how technology brings people together. And that's been really a common thread throughout my work and my research. And Rana, as you got further and further into technology, you know, eventually, listeners, you're going to find out this ends up at MIT, where she creates a spin out from MIT, becomes this incredibly successful entrepreneur, and now is a speaker, an executive fellow at Harvard Business School, a TED speaker and a postdoc at MIT, and also recognized by Fortune as a 40 under 40 and one of Forbes' top 50 women in tech and Newsweek's top disruptors. I mean, this list just goes on and on. And she's written a best-selling memoir called Girl Decoded, and it's a scientist's quest to reclaim our humanity by bringing emotional intelligence to technology. I mean, this is like she is on the cutting edge of where the world is headed from a technology standpoint. So, Rana, how did you end up actually coming to the U.S. to, you know, end up at MIT and building Affectiva, all of that? Yeah, you know, I would say serendipity played a huge role. So, you know, I studied computer science at the American University in Cairo, and I had zero plans to really live abroad. My grand plan was to go abroad, get a PhD and come back and teach at the American University in Cairo. That was my plan. And so sure enough, I got a scholarship to Cambridge University to do my PhD. And I ended up, you know, kind of pioneering the space of emotion AI or artificial emotional intelligence. We'll come back to that. 
But towards the end of my PhD, as I was getting ready to go back to Egypt, this MIT professor was visiting Cambridge University. And she said, I have an hour to kill. I want to meet some students. And so I signed up. I had read this woman's book. I had followed her research for years, but I had never met her in person. She did not know I existed. And we ended up meeting and we totally hit it off. And at the end of that meeting, she said, do you want to come work with me as a postdoc? And that, you know, that 15 minute meeting changed the trajectory of my career and my life because I ended up moving to MIT as a postdoc. And within a few years, she and I started Affectiva together. Uh, Her name is Professor Rosalind Picard. Yeah. And that kind of, you know, just changed the trajectory of my life. And, you know, we started Affectiva in 2009. We were venture backed. So we raised venture and strategic funding to bring this technology to the world. And I, I think that was for me kind of the tipping point moving from, okay, I want to be a faculty at a university to, oh my God, I have an opportunity to bring this technology to the real world at scale globally. And so that was the impetus for starting the company. And listeners, we talk about this before, but you see a few things that Rana did that actually made a massive difference. First, she had actually prepared for this meeting, maybe not intentionally, but she had read this professor's book. She knew her work. Then she actually went to the meeting. She took advantage of a local opportunity that was right in front of her and then made a connection that was so meaningful that by the end of that meeting, this person who was previously just somebody she looked at as a hero in the industry is now saying, please come work with me by the end of that one meeting. So we talk about this a lot, but putting yourself at the table, spending that time with people, not being afraid to actually go out and take a chance on yourself. And here, Rana did that. She was prepared and it ends up turning into a company. And so you talk about emotion AI. Tell our listeners, I mean, actually, Rana, we have to back up to just (laughs) artificial intelligence in general. Let's pretend people are like, I don't know what that is, but it Uh sounds very like precog from the movie Minority Report, and I'm scared of this. So what is artificial intelligence? And then what is emotion AI? Absolutely. So Artificial intelligence is a field within technology that is all about simulating human intelligence. So it could be about building natural language processing into technology, or it could be about helping technology and helping our devices become more intelligent, more conversational, more perceptual. And the thing that people don't realize is AI is actually already all around us. So when you use Google Maps, for example, to go from point A to point B, That's AI built into the system. When you talk to your Amazon Alexa or Siri or Google Home, that's artificial intelligence. So AI is already becoming mainstream. It's actually already taking on roles that were traditionally done by humans. If you look at every industry around us, AI is really disrupting it because it is helping us do things faster, more productively, more efficiently. And that's not going to stop, right? So There's incredible, amazing potential for AI, but also when we are absolutely going to talk about that, we should be concerned and we we need to make sure we do this right. So this is the general field of AI. When I first started in this space, so I had this insight that we are interacting with our devices on a day-to-day basis and we're almost like tethered to our technologies, right? 
at the time, everybody who was thinking about AI didn't think about the human aspect of AI, which doesn't make any sense. Because if you think of human intelligence, your IQ matters, your cognitive intelligence matters. But as we all know, your emotional intelligence matters even more. It's how you connect with people. People who have higher EQs tend to be more persuasive. They're better leaders. They're better partners. They're more successful in their life as well. And I believe that that is true for technology as well. We need technology to have emotional intelligence. And so I've been in this area of marrying IQ and EQ in technology. So my doctorate work was about building this very first system of emotionally intelligent machines. And I specifically focused on the face. I know, you know, your audience can't see us, but I'm very animated. <laughs> and I felt like when, when you're interacting with somebody via technology, all of these, like the richness of our emotional expressions tend to get lost in cyberspace. And so I wanted to build technology that can capture these facial expressions using machine learning and computer vision and tons of data. I taught the computer to initially like understand and recognize a smile. And then I added like an eyebrow raise and then a brow furrow. And now, you know, the system can recognize over 50 different emotional and cognitive human states. It can do things like confusion, concentration, attention, drowsiness, distraction, and the list goes on and on and on. And a lot of times we don't even necessarily know how we're feeling, but our body betrays how we're actually feeling sometimes before we even are able to process it internally. And so after you built this technology, what did you realize the best use cases would be? Yeah, you know, one of the use cases that I'm most passionate about actually in this space is how we can use facial and vocal biomarkers to understand mental health, right? So we know that people who have depression or anxiety or are stressed or are even suicidal, they exhibit certain facial expressions and vocal, like vocal behaviors. Now, so imagine every time you check your phone, it's an opportunity for the device, of course, with your consent, to collect your baseline data. And then now it knows how your baseline is. And when you start deviating from it, it can flag that to a loved one or with your permission to say you're a therapist and, and you can get like faster and more real-time intervention. I'm just super excited about the applications of this technology in mental health. I think we have an opportunity to bring data. You know, it's kind of really interesting. The gold standard today in mental health is literally a survey, a self-report, right? It asks you on a scale from one to 10, how depressed are you or how, you know, stressed or suicidal are you? And it's just, it's not objective data. And we can bring data to the table. We can bring machine learning and data analytics and insights. And I think that can be really transformative. That's incredible. I mean, you're right. It's not objective. It's not real time. My original experience in this, I mean, very, very loosely into this field, this is maybe a decade ago as smartwatches were first coming on the scene, somebody had developed a program where the watch would sync with your calendar and it could see who are the meetings that are causing your pulse to just skyrocket. Who is stressing you out throughout your week? And then it would give you a weekly report out of like, these are the people who stress you out. The idea behind it ultimately was to ask why. Why is this happening? Why do these people stress me out so much? It's so that either you can take action and resolve the issue or you can eliminate those stressors. 
that was my earliest kind of foray into this type. But what you're talking about is a whole different level of not seeing, you know, what's happening to your pulse, but using these biomarkers to actually understand what's happening inside of you before you understand what's happening inside of you. I mean, that is just absolutely incredible. I'm like, my mind is just blown right now. I know my listeners are like, oh my gosh, this is some like serious Yoda amazingness. So could I build on that a little bit? Because I love this use case you just talked about, right? I mean, we track our physical fitness and we track what we eat and how we sleep, but we don't really track our emotional well-being, And we definitely don't track kind of the health of our relationships. So there's a whole new space called relationship intelligence which is all about like helping you understand, yeah, who are the people who bring you joy in life and who are the people who are just like, you know, continuously stressing you out. And this kind of data-driven insight can be very empowering, right? It can allow you to intervene and save the relationships you want to save. It can allow you to Marie Kondo your calendar a little bit, right? So, so you kind of architects like, yeah, bring more joy and happiness into one's life. So I, I think, yeah, that use case, whether the data is your facial expressions or your voice or your physiology, like ultimately it will be multimodal. We talk a lot about that. It'll be one technology that has access to all of this data. I think it can be very empowering to the person. That's so incredible. So incredible. As you build Affectiva, that became your foray into actually becoming a, a really well-known voice in this space. You've gone on to do TED Talks, gone on to be a fellow at Harvard Business School where you're teaching other students about artificial intelligence and startups, and also has allowed you to move into the investment world and investing in other founders that are wanting to bring artificial intelligence to the world. So tell us a little bit about how you spend your time these days. Yeah. You know, so we started Affectiva in 2009 and Tommy, you're an entrepreneur yourself. It's been an emotional roller coaster, right? Like, you know, we've raised venture and strategic funding. We grew the team to about 150 people. And then COVID hit. I had to take a step back and kind of reevaluate where we're going. And I just really felt that. So at the time, we were very heads down, focused on the automotive industry. And so the use case there is driver monitoring. How can we detect when a driver is distracted or drowsy or even in the future intoxicated to help keep our roads safer? You know, I kind of surveyed the space and, and one of our competitors in particular, they're a public company based in Sweden. They really had like 20 years of experience bringing automotive grade solutions to the market. So, you know, the CEO and I had known each other. We'd see each other at CES every year. And so we reconnected and basically decided to join forces. So last year, I, I sold my baby. <laughs> I sold Affectiva. We merged with SmartEye. And it's been exactly a year, actually, uh, since the acquisition, which has been quite a transition, right? Like, from a technology standpoint, it made absolute perfect sense to merge our two tech stacks. And that's been going really well. Our teams, you know, we had to integrate the two teams together and we had to figure out the smartest way to do that cross Atlantic. But for me, it's been quite the transition because I went from being kind of the CEO of the startup where my identity was super wrapped into Affectiva, right? Like most founders do to kind of, you know, accepting that I have a different role now and my role is to empower this merged team and be quite strategic in where we're headed 
you know, in automotive and beyond. So anyway, as part of that, I, I, I was very kind of intentional about where else I want to spend my time. And one area is teaching because it's, it's back to my roots, what I love. So I teach at the Harvard Business School how to bring AI into your businesses. So that's been kind of a focus area, but also like a lot of the um, executive classes at HBS are these, you know, Fortune 500 executives who want to start their own companies. But it's 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 quite a jump, right, from being at these big companies to like being person number one. And so we we're teaching a class called Startup Academy, the 100 questions you have to ask when you are starting your business. And what program is that part of? What executive program is that class part of? Yeah, it's called the Harvard Business Analytics Program, HBAP. It's awesome, by the way. A lot of it is virtual. Like there's just a few weeks of immersion when you're at the Harvard campus, but a lot of it is virtual. So you could really work it into your schedule. I know your listeners are probably very busy, but I highly recommend it. It's awesome. And Rana, this actually turned into a book. Ultimately, you were able to write your memoir. Girl Decoded, it's become a bestseller. So tell us about that. You know, I'm a tech nerd. I didn't really think of myself as an author, but Girl Decoded is my memoir. And I know it makes me sound like I'm 100 years old. I promise I'm not. (laughs) But it follows my journey growing up in the Middle East um, and then finding my way to the U.S. and kind of turning from an academic to an entrepreneur And at the same time, it follows the journey of the technology. Like, how does one come up with an idea? How do you persist through a lot of the challenges of of it not working and people saying, there's no way on earth this is ever going to get built? Like, there's no way on earth you can start a company. So I kind of talk about the emotions of all of that. And I try to simplify the technology, too. One of my main goals of writing this book is I really do think we need more consumers. Like the average consumer needs to be part of the conversation around artificial intelligence and how it's going to shape our future. So I really wanted it to be accessible. Yeah. So read the book and let me know if you have any feedback and what parts of it, you know, resonate and and relate to your listeners. Yeah. 100%. And Rana, we get to move into my favorite part of the show now where I get to ask two questions. The first is the question everybody wants to know. And what I usually say is it's actually the question I want to know. But in this case, I actually think this is the question our listeners really want to know about artificial intelligence. So there's people out there that are saying artificial intelligence is going to take over the world. We have even big names like Elon Musk building Neuralink saying, we have to be ready because we're not going to be able to beat it. So we have to be ready to join it. And tell us your excitement about what artificial intelligence will bring to the future and tell us any concerns you might have. Yeah, you know, some people think of this as a race between humans and AI. I don't like AI is just a technology. It's a tool that really ought to be deployed to help us humans be better. And the better could be healthier, could be more productive, maybe more empathetic, more connected, happier, Right. So I really think that we should just refocus how we think about AI. It's just a tool. It's not humans versus machines. It's humans plus machines. This means that there are so many applications of this that's going to make our lives better. Like recognizing if we're depressed before we may recognize it, like recognizing we're drowsy behind the wheel before we recognize it. I mean, these are some incredible 
use cases that are going to absolutely save lives. I mean, this is the exciting side of AI. Is there a counterpoint to saving lives? Is there a counterpoint where this could be harmful? There is. So, for example, if you accidentally build bias into these systems, these systems could very easily be used to discriminate against people. I mean, another example, it could be used without people's consent to manipulate people, right? Like, so we, over the last, you know, 10, 12 years, we've often gotten inbound requests from governments to deploy our technology in security and surveillance and lie detection. And we've kept a very clear kind of line there where we just decline all this business. We could have probably made a lot more money. Billions upon billions, I'm sure. Probably, right. But I just felt that this is not the right application for this technology. It's definitely not why we started the company. And regulation isn't there. There's no regulation around a lot of these AI technologies. And so until the technology is more mature and until there's real regulation around how we can use it, we don't deploy this anywhere where people are not giving their consent and where people are not very clear on, okay, like the camera's on, it's looking at me. If that's not clear, we say no. And I think we need to have this high bar. Thank you for that. And I like what you said earlier, Rana, that we need the public to be more educated about artificial intelligence so that we can have that public discord around consent, around how do we deploy this in safety and security. You know, all of that is just so essential as part of this conversation. But it all starts with the public being more educated on what these capabilities are, how they're going to be used so that we can create strong legislation around it so that people understand what's happening to them in their daily lives. And I appreciate you as founders taking a hard stand, realizing it probably did cost you billions of dollars, but we as a society are so grateful, so thankful that there's ethical people like you out in the world willing to take a stand and focus on here's how we can make the world a safer place through this technology. So thank you for that. Well, Rana, this is incredible. And my final question is the real question that everybody wants to know. And that is just in our listener base, there's going to be people out there that are either future founders wanting to build into artificial intelligence, or they know other founders, they're investors who are investing in artificial intelligence. And if they want to get in touch with you to find out what you're doing through the AI Operators Fund, what is the best way for them to reach out? And feel free to tell us about your fund as well. Yeah. So I'm very easy to find on all social media platforms. So if you're listening to this, please do reach out. One of the things that I'm really focused on right now is the AI Operators Fund. It's an early stage venture fund that's focused on AI first or AI driven companies. So I guess my call out, yes, if any of your listeners out there are building new AI focused companies, whatever the industry is. Yeah. So please reach out. I'd love to chat. One of the reasons why I started this fund is to really invest in underrepresented founders and underrepresented ideas. As you know, Tommy, like in the field of AI and technology in general, there's very few women and we need to change that. So I think the way to change that is to have more women and female investors invest in more female founders. And, and that's one of the areas I'm focused on as well. We need more diversity in AI. 
not just AI, but venture capital as well. So thank you. Thank you for doing what you're doing in creating the ability for investors to absolutely invest in the future of the world and do it through funding female founders. I mean, that's just an incredibly important endeavor. And I'm just so thankful to have you as a friend and so thankful we could have the best of the best come talk about artificial intelligence. Listeners, we will post links to Rana's uh, social platforms in our show notes, whether you listen on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll also post the link to her TED Talk. I think you're gonna love that. So we'll post that out there. And be sure to check out her book, Girl Decoded, A Scientist's Quest to Reclaim Our Humanity by Bringing Emotional Intelligence to Technology. Rana, thank you so much for being here. This has been absolutely incredible. Definitely worth the wait to have you be our kickoff on artificial intelligence. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. This podcast is brought to you by Mammoth and produced by Reverb. If you like this show, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Mammoth and Beyond the Ordinary, visit us at mammoth.vc.com.